Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Everybody and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. And uh, we're this is this is interesting. With this everything <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to start our podcast, so yeah. people will know this one's this, this, this one's one, interesting. This one is interesting. This one's interesting. We've had uh, uh, some medicine, some health issues in the news that you wanted to touch on. Uh, there's a great amount of overlap between this topic and a topic that we have covered before, but. When I say before, I mean before, before, before. 2014. 2014. We're going to go back to the the halcyon days, the silver age of Sawbones. Uh, and we'll hear sort of a, a, a condensed like a condensed version of our episode on leprosy. That's right. And then, and then, and then we've got to talk about Florida. We got to talk we about gotta Florida. We got to talk about Florida, y'all. Talk about Florida. We'll be right back with you right after this. Take it away, us. Without kids, God, they're going to sound so chill. (laughs) (laughs) So relaxed. So relaxed. So leprosy dates back, if you didn't know this, Justin, to probably 4,000 BC, maybe longer. That's Um, a long time. Yeah, it's been around a really long time. They took DNA from a corpse from old Jerusalem, and they figured that it had leprosy from the DNA. Okay, uh, <laughs> what, it was missing some skin? Yeah, ancient scientists, yeah, I, I would think. I think it was just uh, like a bet, like, hey, I bet they had leprosy. I bet it had leprosy. Where's his nose? I mean, we've heard a lot about it. Somebody had to have it. I have leprosy, I don't know. It's <laughs> missing some stuff. <laughs> he don't look good. Well, yeah. Like, it's a mummy. Thousands of years old. And all throughout history, different, you know, Hippocrates talked about it in 460. I mean, this is this is probably one of our oldest and most uh, discussed diseases mm-hmm. throughout throughout history. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those that pops up in, in the Bible a decent Absolutely. amount. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to an extent where I, you kind of start to assume like half the people had it. It comes up a lot. Um, do you know where the word leprosy comes from? Come on, Sid. Obviously no. not. Okay. So there are two two possibilities. There's the Indo-European term lap, which means the removal of scales. Mm-hmm. So they thought because of some of the appearance of some of the skin lesions that perhaps that could be where it's from. Or from lepra, which is the Greek word for scales. I mean, I figure that's probably from the same common root. Yeah. You know, both both things. But anyway, that's that's where the word leprosy comes from. Um, and again, that's because of the appearance of, the, of the, some of the skin. Now, there are a lot of, before I kind of tell you the history, 
uh, let me just say that uh, a lot of people don't really understand what leprosy causes, like what the disease leprosy, what how that manifests in a person. Shameful. It's like read a book, you know? Right. They think it's like, you know, when they nick themselves shaving or maybe jelly. Possibly. I, well, I agree to disagree. But there's a lot of misconception about uh, people having leprosy and like losing body parts. And um, I don't know that I just think people people's vision of leprosy is not quite what it what it was or is today. Okay, well, clear it up for us. So what, what is it? What what does leprosy really look like? Okay, so there are different forms. So it depends on which form of leprosy you have, but it could just present as some um, like a numb, pale patches on your skin, some areas on your skin where the the color changes and they become numb because it, it also damages nerve tissue. Um, you can have areas which actually you know the skin becomes thickened and scaly and forms nodules. There is possibility of like nasal deformity and you can lose, you know, parts of your like the nasal structure, parts of your nose as a result. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can have weakness as well and, and kind of this uh, diffuse like nervous system involvement where your hands and, and feet and legs and arms eventually become numb or weak or, you know, the nerves become damaged. Uh, but that's that's very different from, I think, what we picture. And again, it depends on the patient and it depends on which form you have. It's really slow growing, this disease. It has a super long incubation period. So it's really hard to figure out when people got it. Um, it it's usually three to five years that you carry it around before you ever have a symptom. Wow. Uh, but it so can, you're saying I could have it right now and just not know. Oh, let's not. Possibly. Probably not. Okay. Why not? Because this is interesting. Do you know that about 95% of the population is not susceptible to infection? That does make me feel better. Slightly better. I think that's a pretty staggering statistic because I got the same impression that, like, biblically, everybody had leprosy. Basically. Uh, but it just it has to do as much with your immune system's reaction uh, to the bacterium as it does to the disease itself. Uh, so, like I said, 95% of people are not, you know, even after coming into contact with it, are not going to actually become infected. It's it's transmitted by nasal droplets. It usually has to be long sustained contacts. So you got to hang around people a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that you're just going to pass somebody in a hallway and get. Um, there's some evidence that maybe broken skin too, but hmm. but it's not easy to get and it's not common. Got it. Okay. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling comfortable discussing this now. And you can only get it from humans, maybe armadillos. All right, let's let's talk about the Bible. Finally, <laughs> let's it's move the only thing into I find something scarier than raccoons. Let's move into something that's not controversial at all. Yeah, let's talk about religion in the Bible. You know, it divides leprosy into clean leprosy and unclean leprosy, mm -hmm. uh, which are not actual medical categories of any significance. Um, unclean leprosy was probably leprosy. You know, when they when they talk about a patient who had unclean leprosy, that probably was the real deal. They talked about changes in their skin, um, losing, again, losing body parts, probably focusing on the nose because that is something that can happen, um, but but big skin lesions. So when they referred to somebody who had that, that they probably got it right. Then they talked about clean leprosy. Clean leprosy. Like the decaf of the leprosy world. <laughs> Was and clean and and these people were treated differently. If you had unclean leprosy, um, 
you would not get around these people. They were completely quarantined off from the rest of society. And if any of their, uh, if they touched anything that you owned, you would burn it. Mm-hmm. Um, clean leprosy was not treated the same way. Uh, these were people who just had their skin lost its pigment. So maybe this actually included some people who had leprosy, but it also probably included a lot of people who had vitiligo. What's vitiligo? It's a skin condition where, you know, uh, people with a darker pigmented skin lose the melanin. Okay. Yeah. And so people would become paler. And uh, so there were probably a lot of people who actually just had vitiligo who were thrown into this category. Doesn't seem fair. Uh, And this was this is common. There's a lot of stuff that's discussed in the Bible. And then, you know, from the years that follow and the time periods that follow that was called leprosy that, again, probably wasn't Uh, psoriasis was mistaken for leprosy. A tinea capitis or like um, a fungal infection of the scalp because you would lose like a patch of hair and it didn't look very pleasant. So they thought that was, you know, leprosy. Um, And there are all kinds of fungal infections of the skin. You know, athlete's foot probably would have been mistaken for leprosy back then. Bad spray tans. Anything. Exactly. Snooki has leprosy. I knew it. Now, eventually, uh, we, we figured out what is and isn't leprosy in 1873. Uh, when a Dr. G.H. Armour Hansen, Armois, the least popular Hansen brother, <laughs> in Norway, uh, discovered the causative agent, Mycobacterium leprae. So kind of related to tuberculosis, same same family there. Mm-hmm. Um, he identified the agent that caused disease um, because it was actually in the 1800s pretty rampant in Norway and Iceland and England and, mm. and those regions. Um, that's why leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. I always thought they referred to getting umbop stuck in your head, but that's it's good to know that, that, that I was incorrect. Yes. How have we tried to treat this over the years, Sydney? Like a lot of the diseases we talk about on this show, uh, leprosy was seen as a punishment or a curse from God or the gods. You know, so you did something wrong, and now this horrible thing has been visited upon you. Mm-hmm. And so pray, get right with God, have holy people pray over you. Um, hopefully it'll go away. Uh, that's probably the oldest treatment for anything, I think would be fair to say. Still probably the most widely prescribed, too, for any for any ailment uh, as a first line. You know, yeah, that's a good point. That's probably the longest existing treatment for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Besides rub some dirt in it. <laughs> One of my dad's favorites. And Adam. Also, run it off. Run it off, Caleb. <laughs> run it off. Caleb? Or, or what was that fool's name? Cain, Abel, combined them. Caleb. <laughs> Caleb. The third son, Caleb. The third son, Caleb. So if prayer doesn't work, what else? Let's try blood. That's what everybody likes to try, it's right? It's a good first line. It seems very, there's a lot of power we assign to it, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the Greeks tried it, the Egyptians, uh, the Chinese, they all tried blood for leprosy. You could either rub it on, you know, the affected areas or you could drink it. Okay. Um, originally the blood you would prefer virgin blood or perhaps child blood. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we didn't have like a great way of getting that blood out. No, I, I don't want to think about where the virgin and child blood yeah. came from in, I guess in a more humane t- period, we switched to animal blood. I still don't know that that's humane. So lamb or dog's blood mm-hmm. was used. Do you know that this carried on until 1790? 
Sheesh. It's a long time. Yeah. We kind of took a breather on treating leprosy, huh? Yeah. A lot of a lot of blood. Now, nice. there were other things thrown in there from time to time. Um, snake venom was a popular a popular suggestion, um, especially Cobra. And uh, you know who was a big fan of that? Let me guess. Guess. Pliny, the elder. If you don't have a snake, I you don't. could try some scorpion mm-hmm. venom, <laughs> perhaps a poisonous frog. Mm-hmm. Or there was some kind of a climbing fish that you could use that had some kind of venom. Okay. That's, um, that's horrifying. But uh, oh, oh, fish can climb now and they're poisonous. Fantastic. <laughs> Just the thing to take my mind off my leprosy. And you know, if there are poisonous climbing fish, they definitely exist in the Ohio River. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely no have question. them here. Four eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, eventually this would uh, morph into uh, increasing doses of bee stings. What? You don't want to try snake venom. Let's just uh, sting you with a bunch of bees and see if it fixes your leprosy. I mean, it took my mind off my leprosy. If you do, you remember scarification? We talked about that once before. Mm, wasn't it like a something you did with like a sharp metal thing? Yeah, sharp metal thing. You you cut people and scar them and it's make the, damage the skin. It's and, in the family of um of uh, trepanation, right? Isn't that uh, when we talked no. about it? Yeah, I think we did talk about it okay. in trepanation. Um, you could do it with or without arsenic, however you prefer. I'll take with. So cut you. people off and or cut people up and then pour arsenic in their wounds. None for me, thanks. Um, in the Middle Ages, they tried castration, mm. uh, which probably, to be fair, was as much to prevent them from having children as to actually try to fix it. Would pass that way? Huh? You think it would pass that way? Would it pass genetically? No, it doesn't. Okay. One very popular treatment for decades was chalmugra oil. Chalmugra oil. Mm. A lot of people have probably heard of this. Um, it's from a tree. Uh, there's some confusion over which tree, but the important thing for you to know is it's from a tree. The active ingredient is hydnocarpic acid. It has a bunch of fatty acids in it too. And that, that acid is antibacterial. Hmm. It really is. So the thought was that you could, um, either like turn it into a mixture like suspended in gum or an emulsion or something. You could put it on topically. Uh, they tried to give it to people orally. Um, but it made you really, really nauseous. Mm. When that didn't work, they tried to give it to people rectally. Don't know if that would have been my next move. No, me neither. But that was bad because then it caused ulcers. Ugh, I don't know if this is a good solution. So instead, they started injecting it into people IV or uh, intravenously or intramuscularly. Mm-hmm. They, you know, did it work or not? I don't know. Uh, there's some information that maybe it was successful at times. Maybe really? it helped for a little bit. It didn't help in the long run, right? Um, probably. Uh, but there it was some evidence that maybe, I mean, and this was used for quite a long time, like all the way up until we had actual medications for leprosy. People yeah. were using chalmugra oil. It's interesting. It, it seems like because of the, now this is just like a, this is again, some of my classic speculation, but it seems to me that perhaps the biblical stigma because it was so had such a reputation of being connected to being dirty or being Uh, unclean that maybe Uh we weren't as because we these are really long for treatments we don't normally cling to stuff like this that isn't working for like centuries yeah that that maybe there wasn't the rush to try to treat it and take care of it i think i think you're i think that's a very good point because as i looked for a lot of different treatments um, I didn't find the usual just lists and lists of weird stuff that we gave people to eat or drink or 
paste all over their body. You know, I mean, usually I look up these illnesses and I find just pages and pages of and then try this tree and then try this plant and then, right. you know, uh, and it it's not out there as far as I can tell for leprosy. We found this chalmugra oil, which seemed to work maybe, and we stuck with it for a long time. There are a handful of other weird treatments in there. But sadly, I, I think because you're right, uh, for a long time it was seen as the patient's fault. Mm-hmm. So they did something wrong, that they were dirty in some way. They were cursed or something. And then the other thing, it, it, the last thing I kind of want to talk about, I guess, in terms of treatment, although this isn't really a treatment, it was one of the things that was done for people who had leprosy. It was quarantine. Um, it was very common all throughout history that if you had leprosy, you were kept away from the general population. Um, the reasoning for this was twofold. One, to protect everybody else from you because you know, the belief was that leprosy was very contagious. In reality, it wasn't. But the the fear was that if you touched someone with leprosy, you would get it. Right, which would be right up as inaccurate. Right. Uh, but then it also was because of the stigma against people with leprosy, they were the common they were a common target of violence. Oh wow! And 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 murder. So uh, keeping uh, people with leprosy in quarantine was was also for their own protection. Um, if they weren't in quarantine, they had to, especially throughout the Middle Ages, wear bells or clappers um, as they were you know, to to ring or to you know clap together as they were moving through crowds, so that people would know they were coming and be able to move away from them. Uh, they even, depending on which way the wind was blowing, they had to walk on a certain side of the street so that people wouldn't have Ugh, to breathe the wind that blew past them. Cut them I a know. break. They already have leprosy. So, and which is why so many people ended up in um, leper asylums or leprosariums is what they were called. Mm-hmm. Um, all They started in the 13th century all the way through to the 20th century. We had these. Um, Gee, wow. Yeah. Yeah, all across Europe and Asia and eventually into the U.S. Uh, at their peak, there were probably 19,000 in existence at one time. There were colonies, uh, like um, especially some of the monastic orders. So a monastery would kind of sponsor like a colony mm. of people who had leprosy. So they didn't actually have to be in a building because a lot of these places were similar to like psychiatric asylums. Mm-hmm. Um, the They were called leper colonies. And uh, the idea was that we would just have like a little community where you could only live if you had leprosy. The reason that monks got involved is that they thought that um, someone who had leprosy was actually in purgatory on earth, that their suffering was holier than the suffering of other sick people because having leprosy was a way that you had already died, but you were stuck on earth, so you were in purgatory. Well, they were certainly holier. Really? Unacceptable. Fair enough. Unacceptable. That was my one. That was my only there, one. That's Sorry. the only one you get. There, there was also there was actually a group of monks that were um, specifically founded for the care of people with leprosy, and also made up of people with leprosy, called the Order of Saint Lazarus. In which you probably get that reference. You're a good, good little. Yeah, that's Bible like a, reader. That's like a super popular one. That's yeah. like a classic. That's so what happened to Lazarus, Justin? For those who don't know, he died. Uh huh. Of leprosy. No. And just died. Just he died. just died. <laughs> and he, Jesus brought him back. Right. So th- it would make sense that they would call it the Order of St. Lazarus if they thought that people with leprosy were dead on earth. Yeah. So um, 
people who did stay in asylums who weren't in in colonies but in asylums were usually separated by gender um, in order to prevent children uh, because the children of lepers they were seen as a, a sin against God unfortunately um, like I said this eventually happened in the U.S. the biggest was in Carville Louisiana and it was just known as I, I forget what it was called it was just known as Carville eventually so I guess gone to Carville was probably a good euphemism for somebody with leprosy mm-hmm um, remember we had gone to Dwight for somebody who was getting clean off alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to Carville if you got leprosy. Um, and while in most parts of the world in the mid 1900s with the invention of the drugs we use today for leprosy, a lot of these things stopped. There weren't leprosariums anymore. Um, in some parts of the world it persisted in Japan, there was one open until 2008. Wow. Which I think is, is pretty crazy. And there are still, Possibly. I don't know. As of the last thing I read, possibly there are still a handful of people left in asylums all over the world with leprosy. Today, we have treatments. We have a cure for leprosy. Oh, great. Um, The first modern treatment that was invented was called Promen. Uh, It was quickly uh, replaced with better drugs, uh, Dapsone, Clofazamine, Rifampin. Uh, those three are used in triple therapy today, uh, much like tuberculosis. If anybody's familiar with it, we use multiple drugs to treat it. You don't just get one. Mm-hmm. Leprosy is the same way. Um, so we use these medications today uh, with great effectiveness. Leprosy is still around, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, there are probably as of 2012, there were 180,000 cases. That was the prevalence. the in- The incidence of leprosy. Do you know the difference? I do not. The incidence is how many cases we have each year. Oh, okay. The prevalence is how many cases total exist right now. Oh, right. So incidence is tough with leprosy because it hangs around. Right. So for it's hard so to long. tell exactly when it happened. Yeah, when it happened. Um, but it still exists uh, mostly in India, Brazil, Nepal, Tanzania. Why can't we just treat everybody? Um, we can. Seems like we, we will just wipe this thing out. Uh, you know, there were there are a lot of movements to do that. A lot of um, a lot of organizations. Uh, money and 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 good people putting their time into trying to eradicate leprosy. I don't think it's uh, an unrealistic goal. I think with it being a primarily human disease, um, that makes it possible. That's why smallpox was easier to eradicate because it was a human disease. So I think it's a possibility. We've got good treatments. We've just still got work to do. If I need to wipe every armadillo off the face of this planet, God, <laughs> so help me God, I'll do it. I think the armadillos would be low on my list. I'd start with treating all the people with leprosy. And remembering that um, leprosy is just another illness that people unfortunately can get. Yes. And it's no, should be no more stigmatized than the common cold. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the 
easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. You there. Have you considered listening to the Beef and Dairy Network, an award-winning comedy show in the form of a newsletter podcast for the beef and dairy industries? Well, maybe you should. And why don't you try our most recent episode, episode 99, which features American man Paul F. Tompkins playing Queen Elizabeth II's former personal beef sommelier. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and I laying on the floor of her bedroom uh, just l- helplessly laughing till tears run down our faces as corgis are jumping on us, over us, licking us. That is a day that I will treasure forever until I am executed. Find the show at MaximumFun.org. I hope there's beef in heaven. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Jarrett Hill. And I'm Trevo Anderson. And we want to know, have you ever had mixed feelings about the things that you love? Ooh, maybe about the things that you hate? Then Fantai is the show for you. Fantai is the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. You might have conflicting feelings about Kamala Harris or mm-hmm. propaganda or mm-hmm. interracial friending. Mm-hmm. That's all right, because we do too. And we get into it every single Thursday. Catch this Slayworthy audio at MaximumFun.org. That's MaximumFun.org slash Fantai. That's F-A-N-T-I. Come get all this good good. Or this great great. Okay, Sid, so that's 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 leprosy, or at least leprosy as it stood 
in 2014. Well, so very long ago. <laughs> well, I don't think a lot of our ancient facts about le- leprosy have changed. Let's hope not. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's the new thing. New and stunning research. <laughs> I, I mean, there is new. I mean, there is new stuff that is true, but but all the old stuff holds. Yeah. Um, and I will say one of the first things I want to address is we kind of update, like where are we now with this disease and what is happening and why is Florida what's just what's going on down there, guys? Just like what's you're wilding out down there, Florida? Yeah. I don't know what you're doing, but uh, I mean, I guess we do. But yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. Um, The first thing I want to address is that we are trying to move away. And I know this can be difficult when we're trying to communicate that something's happening, right? You're trying to, as a public health notice, like there is a a disease that is emerging in in higher numbers in an area and we want people to know it's happening. And if it's something that you're familiar with, like I think most people know the word leprosy, they've heard it, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a very well-known thing. Um, it's you need to use that word to communicate the disease. We try, we're trying to move away from that as a term, though. We're trying more and more to call it Hansen's disease, which is not a new name. It's been a name for leprosy for a very long time. Okay, so when you first told me about this, I thought that somebody named Hansen had kind of come around recently and be like, actually, you know what I'd like? Name it after me. Go for it. No, <laughs> no, this, the, the name Hansen's disease is a very old disease for leprosy named for the first person to like identify the bacteria right. as the causative agent, which we have referenced already. Um, but I think because the word leprosy is such an ancient, it has such ancient like in roots. in the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's from the, I mean, we talked about it from the leper and all that. So, it, so like that word has so permeated our culture and like our, our human understanding. And we have a lot of connotations with it, most of them pretty negative, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's a useful for communicating quickly what the disease is because mm-hmm. we all know what it is, which mm-hmm. is not always true for disease processes. Uh, but on the flip side, it's so stigmatized. Mm. So stigmatized that the word, not not necessarily leprosy, but the term leper has become, has been used as kind of a derogatory term for people, right? Like not just someone who has contracted this illness that we call leprosy, but it has all these other connotations because it is so thoroughly permeated our Mm. understanding. Um, And so we're trying to move away from that word and call it Hansen's disease more, but it's tricky because you still want people to know what we're talking about. So I, I thought it would be useful. We mentioned briefly that uh, that is for uh, Gerard Henrik Armoire Hansen, Dr. Hansen, we'll call him. And feel free, Justin, do you need to say anything about Hansen right now? Do you need to no, sing? No, I will Mbop? restrain myself. No, okay. when, you, when you lay it out like that, you made me feel like a clown. I'm not a clown, Sydney. I'm not a clown. I know you're not a clown. I just figured you would need to do that. No, Sydney. Okay, okay. I know you love Hansen. I do love Hansen. I know. They're, I mean... One of the top brother bands, in my opinion, of three brothers, absolutely. Better than the Jonas Brothers, or uh, I don't want to start an absolute okay, we, war. We can't do this on this bands. podcast. Yeah. No. So we mentioned there was the Norwegian scientist Dr. Hansen, for whom Hansen's disease is named. I thought talking a little bit about him and then getting into what's going on in Florida might help us sort of uh, cement okay. this name. Try to use it, although I think for. For, gosh, I don't know how many decades to come, if you're going to call it Hansen's disease, you probably need to put in parentheses next to it the disease formerly known as leprosy. 
That's the way that's the way we change right? language though, right? You kind of have to talk about both of them in concert for anybody to know what you're talking about and then yes. hopefully someday we can move away. Um and and still the bacteria Mycobacterium leprae still sounds, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um I thought it was interesting cuz I thought, well, I'll read a little bit more about Dr. Hansen, maybe that'll help cement it in my mind as well. Um and what I thought was most interesting is that he there was a lot of controversy around his discovery of this bacteria because if you think about it, we are talking about a disease that has been around, I mean, all of human history as far as we know it, right? Like mm-hmm. we have we have so many descriptions of, as we talked about, leprosy and then what might not have been actually leprosy. But it was so part of culture that to finally be the scientist who said, and this is what caused it, would be a big deal, would mm-hmm. be uh, something that could be controversial. And especially since prior to him actually naming the bacteria, there were a lot of beliefs, one, still, that it was some sort of, as we mentioned, like curse, something that you've been stricken with by some sort of omnipotent being, right. perhaps, or by an evil source of something. Uh, it was very much tied to something that was like spiritual and not an illness, not a medical condition. Right. So there was still, even when we're, you know, we're talking to like the mid to late 1800s, even at this point, there were still people who probably kind of believe that, even though they don't want to say it out loud, who still felt that way. And then even beyond that, the predominant scientific view is that it was genetic. There were hereditary factors involved. And so you couldn't get it unless it ran in your family. Mm-hmm. And that was the very much like a, a scientific theory hmm. at the time. And this, is, this makes sense if you think about the fact that like 95% of us have a natural immunity to Hansen's disease. Hmm. So Really? Yeah. Huh. Most of us aren't going to get it. If that was in the episode, by the way, mm-hmm. it was nine years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. I might have you, may, I, you may have forgotten <laughs> that. Um, and so you could see where like, are why do some people get it and others don't? And and even to this day, the question, how is it transmitted? We cannot fully answer. Really? Yes. Which is scary, right? That's wild. Yeah. We we believe strongly that it is it takes prolonged um person-to-person contact. Mm-hmm. And our we think respiratory droplets are the most likely, you know, mode of transmission. Uh could physical contact also, like if you actually have, you know, lesions, could physical contact, prolonged physical contact, skin to skin, could that, yeah, possibly. We like the respiratory droplets better, but maybe this too. And then also armadillos are part of it, right? Nine-banded mm-hmm. armadillos are a known reservoir. So somehow contact with an armadillo maybe mm-hmm. could be part of it. Yeah. So you could see like with a mode of transmission that isn't clear, with a kind of spread that isn't going to be as direct as like you're in a room with somebody with leprosy and you're going to catch it because more than likely you're not. Yeah. You're immune. Um, and in a family, it's going to hit different people. It, it all would make it very difficult to elucidate. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Hansen specifically because he studied under Dr. Danielson, who was kind of his mentor, and he would actually go on to marry his daughter. Hmm. This is like a theme, by the way, right? How often do we find that, this yeah, in these stories? Yeah, that pops up. Right. Um, and also in Doctor Who, 
I mean, that has happened. <laughs> so you tell this me. This is true. This is true. Um, so he he studied under Dr. Dr. Danielson, who was like the leader of scientific research on leprosy at the time. Um, and like I said, at this point, there wasn't an infectious etiology. We didn't know yet. Um, but Dr. Hansen devoted his life to kind of finding this, to taking uh, pathological samples from patients with Hansen's disease and studying them and studying them and studying them and looking for what is the agent that causes it. Now, at this point, as we're getting into where he's doing his work, we understood Koch's postulates. So, like, how do you prove that this bacteria or this thing we're looking at under a microscope, whatever it is, bacteria, virus, whatever, mm -hmm. how do you prove that it causes this disease? I mean, you have to find it in someone who's sick. Mm-hmm. And then you have to put it in someone who isn't sick. Mm. And then they have to get sick with the same clinical syndrome. And mm -hmm. then you have to get a sample from them and look under a microscope and find the same thing. And in all likelihood, they probably won't get it, right? Because yes. they're probably immune. And, the, and this is also a very slow-growing, slow-multiplying bacteria. So it's really hard to culture. That's another big um, thing, like hurdle when you're trying to prove like what causes it is like you isolate it from tissue and you put it in a Petri dish and you grow more of it. You've probably seen Petri dishes with little colorful dots all over them. Yeah. Those are bacterial colonies typically or fungal or whatever. And in order to do that, they have to multiply and grow. Well, if it's super slow, you might assume it didn't grow at all. Oh yeah. You know? And so it was really hard. And, and plus you have to have the right medium, the right food, so to speak, for whatever you're trying to grow. So all of this had not been done, and he was trying to do this. Now, he didn't have great skills at first in staining. Like, I mean, it's a very specific set of lab skills to know, like, what kind of stains to use to make different things show up on a slide. Um, what will they, how will they react to that? Like, you don't want to destroy whatever you're trying to do. How will the tissues react? Like, it's a very specific set of skills, and at that point, we were still developing them. So he actually, he tried for a while, it wasn't working. He actually went and like did a whole extra course in pathologic anatomy and all this to try to figure out how can I, how huh. can I improve my histopathology skills and to go back and then again, try to stain all these slides of tissue and figure out what, what is it? He finally found a, a rod shaped organism in the tissues. He still wasn't able to really stain it well. Um, but he did find an organism and he, he said, this is, I'm finding this little rod in every single, uh, sample. This has got to be it. I love the idea of him showing that around to people like, I know, I know, I know the staining's bad. I get it. I get it. Please don't say anything. I get it. I know, I, I know, but look at this. I found it. It's I found a rod. It. I found it. I'm sorry. Rod. It doesn't look great. It's a little rod. Tried my best. I'm going to name it after me. He didn't actually name it after him. Um, but anyway, so he he found this and he he published and he talked about it, but it didn't, like I said, he didn't satisfy all of Koch's postulates. He didn't grow it. He didn't stain it. He didn't grow it. He didn't give it to anybody and then reproduce it, you know? So like all of that other stuff to say definitively, this is it, he wasn't able to do. Now, there was another uh, young scientist, a German bacteriologist named Albert Neisser, who, if you are in the scientific community. Oh, yeah. Nicer, Niceria. He would later go on to find Niceria gonorrhea, the causative agent of gonorrhea. So, I mean, pretty famous, right? I mean, Like, don't you get excited when you I hear get these names? Excited. I do think it would be great if we stopped calling it leprosy and started calling it nicer disease. 
You know the nicer name well, for leprosy. Well, we already leprosy. have Neisseria. You know the, but listen to what I'm saying. It's very good. The nicer name for leprosy. Is nicer. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, well, but this would be this would be hugely controversial because basically Dr. Nicer studied under Dr. Hansen and said like, hey, I'm a bacteriologist. I've done a lot more staining. Do you want me to try to stain it? Basically, okay. can I have these tissues and go stain we it? We all know that guy. So he took <laughs> the tissues back to his lab. And it is always a guy. <laughs> he was successful in like staining. And then that was a way to learn more about the bacterium and eventually allow it to be grown in culture. And all this other stuff was done. And so he published all this later and got the credit for it. And eventually it was, and I mean, and, um, originally it was called Nizer's, Nicer, Nizer, N-E-I-S-S-E-R, in case you're N-E-I-S-S-E-R. So Niceria is In case you're transcribing the, this. Well, I'm- Somebody <laughs> Nicer, is. Nicer, Nicer, Anyway, uh, it was originally called Nizer's Bacterium first. Mm. Because he's the one who published about it. It was yeah. like, I stained it. Stained it's mine. It. I did stained it. it. I did badly. it. I get it. And Hansen got really mad. And then there were a bunch of people in Norway who were defending Hansen and were like, no, Hansen did it first. Just badly. It's <laughs> <laughs> bad at staining. It's and not his you fault. just stole his work, basically. Um, and nicer. But the whole thing was complicated because at, the, at that time, and this is always, man, we tell these stories about these medical people from history, and then you hit this kind of roadblock. The reason that Hansen, huh? One of them was a Nazi. No. I no, I don't know about that, but no, I don't I'm not saying they're Nazis. Um but what I will say is that when Hansen was desperate to try to prove because he realized that until he proved all this extra stuff, the Koch's postulates, until he did that, he wasn't really going to get full credit for it. In desperation, he uh tried to inoculate a woman's eye. What? With some of the material that he got from a leprosy lesion. Yeah. Yes. So he tried to unknowingly, I mean, obviously, this person did not give permission. He tried to give a woman leprosy. Hansen? Yes. But we're going to call the disease after him. We still call the disease after him. I'm going to, hey, everybody, I'm sick of leprosy. Sorry. He faced like legal action for it. It was, um, his medical career was. Obviously sidelined for a while. I mean, uh, he bounced back. He was able to continue practicing after that. So anyway, and I mean, I will say like, I don't know that Nizer is the better option because as I was reading a little bit about him, he did some studies on syphilis later with uh, people who were sex workers that were also without permission and unethical. So anyway. <sighs> All my heroes let me <laughs> I know. Enjoy. Well, I mean, the... The history of medicine and anyone who is marginalized, depending on the time and place we're living in, is terrible. And we know this repeatedly. Um, so I think it's important when we talk about like these these sort of scientific heroes that we name things after that heroes be in um, quotes. Scare quotes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, he, he went on to get the credit eventually for Hansen's disease. And that is where we get the name Hansen's disease and... I mean, Nizer got gonorrhea, so I don't know what he's complaining. I mean, he didn't get gonorrhea. He, Maybe. You don't know. Well, I don't know if he got... Actually, I don't know. I don't know. When you read about, like, what happened to them, um, it just says, like, Nizer dies, died of sepsis, so I there don't you know got, what... You got him, Sid. You brought and him down. Hansen died of... Uh, he had a stroke, and then I think he had a heart attack. But both of those were probably related to the fact that he had syphilis, so... Sid just can't 
Sid just can't be happy until she gets to people's deaths. So she has to fall all the way down to the grave. There's there's where Hansen's disease comes from. What's the story in, in Florida? Okay, so. For a panic-inducing second, you were looking at me, and I thought you were expecting me to tell you. I was no. I had a real palpitation there. I, I know the story in Florida. This okay, just good. came out. I was reading the, the CDC's Emerging Infectious Disease uh, case report of leprosy in Central Florida, USA, 2022, and this just came out, like, literally this month. Um So cases of leprosy have been increasing in Florida. Now, what we have seen overall worldwide is a downtrend in the numbers of cases of leprosy because it still exists in different Mm -hmm. parts of the world. We don't see a ton of it in the U.S. We did see some number around 200-ish cases a year, most of the time from people who immigrated to the U.S. from somewhere else where it's endemic, right? What what is concerning and— I, I don't want to use the word interesting because that always sounds bad in medicine to say something's interesting when it's an illness. What's concerning is that these cases in Florida and specifically the case report that they detail in in this that was just issued by the CDC do not – they are not in people who have immigrated to Florida. Hmm. These are in people who live in central Florida. Brevard County is where most of them are taking place. There are other counties, but that is where most cases have been. Um, there have been 15 so far this year. And it looks like they're catching leprosy, Hansen's disease. I'm going to try to use Hansen's disease. Let's let's try to just use that. They're catching Hansen's disease in Florida. Hmm. They're getting it in Florida. We have wondered if Hansen's disease could be endemic, meaning you can catch it naturally, like it occurs naturally there, um, in the southeast United States for a long time. This has been questioned because we as we're seeing this downtrend worldwide and this downtrend in people who immigrate to the U.S., we're seeing a slight uptick in cases that seem to be endemic. So this has been questioned. Also, the nine-banded armadillo, anywhere where it is, it can carry the bacteria. So perhaps— Let's get rid of those things. We've also— Let's get rid of those. Well, I I mean, honey, I don't don't have a vendetta against armadillos. Well, so you you think it's— and maybe very, ticks. You think it's very cool and chill that they give people Hansen's disease? No, I don't think it's very cool and chill, but I don't think we, well, we don't know because in this case specifically, they asked this guy, did you have a lot of contact with, with an armadillo? armadillo? And he said no. And he said, I don't remember. And they're like, how could you not remember that? I would definitely, definitely remember if I'd had extensive connections with an armadillo. They could not find any risk factors that we kind of think of as the risk factors for Hansen's disease. And they found it recently, too, in the UK in a certain kind of squirrel, a certain kind of like red squirrel or something. So, and it's been eliminated from the UK for a long time. So then it just, it we we didn't think there was a reservoir outside of humans until we found the armadillos. Now maybe it's in squirrels. And so now that opens the question, has it always been in other animals that we just didn't identify? Or a similar zoonotic infection, a similar infection that occurs in animals that can be transmitted to humans? Is there something like that that we've been missing? If I was looking for a sneaky animal that is is sneakily hiding diseases, I don't think, to be fair, that the armadillo, the humble Armadillo would be high on my list of suspects. No. He seems very unassuming. Well, and, that's and I'm what, sorry I talked about eradicating <laughs> him. Please don't talk about that. That, but this is, I mean, it's it's concerning because if it is endemic and people are just going to get it, and we don't really understand completely how it's spread, um, we need to figure out we need to figure out how and where is it coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
I will say, please don't be alarmed at this because like I already mentioned, most people are never going to catch Hansen's disease. Um, and it does seem to take prolonged contact of some sort with whatever the source of it is. It's not something that you get from, it's not like COVID. You don't get it from being in the same room with somebody for a few minutes, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get it from casual contact, from shaking hands or hugging or sharing, you know. I'm with you. Toilet seats or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. like, I, I don't want this to be something that people freak out about. Um, but it definitely, it definitely is new. It's definitely different. And my... My bigger concern is just what is this what is this telling us? What is this symptomatic of? And and it's a couple of things, right? One, uh, we knew that these sort of neglected tropical diseases, which this is considered Hansen's disease is one of the neglected tropical diseases, um, we knew that there's a possibility that they would spread more with climate change. Mm. We've known this for a long time. This is in the list of diseases that is likely to be impacted by climate change. And now we're seeing more cases in the Southeast U.S. possibly indicating that it is endemic there. No. So that, I mean, it's just, it's it's playing out what scientists have been warning us for a long time is going to happen if we don't do something. Um, if we don't make bigger strides, not, not necessarily as individuals, but as a society, as a government, mm -hmm. as corporate entities towards, you know, addressing climate change. Um, and then there are other things like, I think that Florida specifically has been called out recently for their sort of like their public health infrastructure is not as robust, perhaps, as it could be. Is that a diplomatic way of saying it's it? It's very diplomatic, actually. Um, and that perhaps they are taking some unscientific views of how to address things. Mm -hmm. And we know that historically rises in cases of Hansen's disease have been associated not just with like socioeconomic you know, situations, which they definitely have, but also they have found it with, like, areas with lower education levels. Mm. Um, so basically, like, if we're not, if we're not educating the public about this, if we're not, if we don't have a robust public health system that can contact trace, figure out where things are coming from, help people understand their risk, help people know what to look for so they can come in, because this is curable. It takes a long time. You have to take three medicines and it can take a year or two, but it is curable. So, you can get treatment if you know that's what it is. Right. Um, I think these are the concerns around it. Not so much like if you go to Disney, you're going to get Hansen's disease. I'm not saying that at all. Right. But what I'm saying is but we you're need— you're not, not saying it. No, I'm saying we need to have a robust public health infrastructure in every state and every place on earth. We need Even to <laughs> address climate change more vigorously if we actually care about these things. Um, and I do think it's important, the CDC has said, travel to Florida is now something to consider if someone presents to you, if you're a healthcare professional and someone comes in and you're looking at them and thinking, could this be Hansen's disease? A question you should ask is, have you traveled to Florida, especially mm. Central Florida? So that's my takeaway. I, 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 again, I don't think this should alarm everyone except that there are things we could be doing as a society. Mm -hmm. Um, that our government could be doing, that Floridians' government could be doing to address these things and possibly prevent it. Because these are just, I mean, like all of these cases, malaria and Hansen's disease, and I mean, th there will be more. There will be more. It's not just about the weather. It's not just about natural disasters. It is about infectious diseases and the spread of illnesses. Um, and we need to do more.
They need to do more. Or pressure government officials to do more. That's going to do it for us this week on Sawbones. Thanks to the taxpayers for use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. We won't be here with you next week. We're going to be on vacation. But we'll be back with you right after that. So stay tuned, I guess. Uh, That's going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.